3: From KQED, from KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. State lawmakers passed a package of aggressive climate change-related measures that Governor Newsom is expected to sign, from requirements to cut greenhouse gases by 85 percent and get all electricity from renewable sources by 2045, to buffer zones around oil and gas wells. California's new EPA Secretary, Yana Garcia, joins us to talk about how the agency will implement it and her plans to combat air pollution, drought, extreme heat, while promoting justice. We'll meet the state's new environmental regulator after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. California's Environmental Protection Agency rivals the nation's in staff and budget, according to its former secretary, Jared Blumenfeld. And now the state CPA has a new leader. Yana Garcia has taken the helm of the agency responsible for regulating air pollution and pesticides, ensuring safe drinking water, and managing heat and other environmental dangers. Now add to that a package of aggressive new climate change related measures. Yana Garcia joins us. Secretary Garcia, welcome to Forum. Hi, Mina, thanks for having me. Really glad to have you on. You started just a few days ago, <laughs> I know. And as we speak, California is facing extreme heat. We're in a drought. We have multiple wildfires going. First, how would you describe taking over an agency at this time, one that is tasked with addressing all of this in some form? Yeah,
1: well, what it is quite a time, as, as you mentioned, Mina. Um, First, I think what we're noticing now more than ever with respect to climate change is that it it is it is here, it is present, it is critical, and it's also quite intersectional. You know, in, in government, we often say that many of our most pressing and urgent needs statewide, including, of course, the climate crisis. Recall. Really require a a whole of government approach, and I think what it requires is a whole of society approach, really, and an intersectional approach to how we're doing our work. Uh, As you're well aware, you know our, our energy agencies, who we work with quite closely, all of the departments that you just listed within Cali PA, all are hard at work integrating a more resilient frame for all of our regulatory activities, our enforcement work, our approach to investments, all of that across the agency. Yeah. And what it requires really is is also for us to, to, to recall that our diverse stakeholders across the state are impacted by the climate crisis in a variety of ways that That require our attention and that require us to be open to hearing feedback about how our regulatory work, how our programs are truly being felt on the ground.
3: Yeah, I read an interview that you did for the San Francisco Chronicle where you said you come to work with a vision of how environmental programs can be made meaningful for everyday Californians. And I guess I'm wondering if you could, I touched on sort of some of the the bigger things that the agency is responsible for, but if you could just remind us of the scope of the EPA's authority, the individual agencies that the EPA oversees.
1: Sure. Uh, so... We oversee the Air Resources Board, um, which, you know, we're talking about climate um, and and in the middle of this unprecedented heat wave, the Air Resources Board, as many of your listeners are well aware, um, regulates air quality throughout the state, uh, focusing primarily on mobile sources, but also Oversees many of the air district activities. These are are regional air districts um, around enforcement of of pollution from from stationary sources. So this is probably the most directly involved is the most directly involved board that is within Cali PA when it comes to climate change. Yeah, the State Water Resources Control Board manages uh, the quality of our water throughout the state and and water rights throughout the state the this board is is tasked with with a very very weighty responsibility and obligation to now take a look at water management um, in a time of also unprecedented drought and is taking a look at and has been Deeply seeped in the work to deliver safe, clean, affordable drinking water to all Californians. This is something that was a a very high priority for the Newsom administration coming into office. Something that you know my predecessor did quite a quite a lot to accomplish um, in his first few weeks as secretary, really, and the. The board has been hard at work to implement um, the human right to water and make the human right to water meaningful for, for all Californians throughout the state. The Department of Pesticide Regulation manages the registration of pesticide products um, all across the state that is also a department within, within our agency. This is a department that is looking at pesticide safety, uh, handling requirements, uh, often worker safety, and works closely with county agricultural commissioners across our state as well. CalRecycle manages uh, recycling, recycling activities all across the state and actually has a very large, significant, but I think often not understood role when it comes to wildfires. CalRecycle manages debris removal in the aftermath of wildfires, which has become uh, increasingly a significantly large part of, of this department's work within CalEPA. The Office of Environmental Health Hazards Assessment is sort of our, our science branch, if you will, within the Environmental Protection Agency. This this entity, this office for the agency manages much of our toxicological work. They take a look at um, chemicals of, of emerging concern, toxicants of emerging concern, and work with each and every board and department to ensure that we have front of mind the chemicals that could cause the most severe health or environmental impacts um, present when we are thinking about regulatory and programmatic efforts throughout throughout the agency. And finally, certainly, uh, last but not least at all, is the Department of Toxic Substances Control. The Department of Toxic Substances Control manages our hazardous waste all across the state. This department has undergone significant changes over the past few years, and now has a a brand new board um, and regulates uh, the the transport, storage, and disposal of hazardous waste uh, at at hazardous waste facilities and throughout the movement of hazardous waste throughout our state.
3: Well, let me just ask listeners: given what you understand now of the of the sprawling California EPA, you are welcome to join the conversation with your questions for Secretary Yana Garcia or the most pressing environmental issue that you feel like you face in your community that Cal EPA touches. You can email forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or you can call us 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Secretary Garcia, I started the conversation by talking about the uh the heat, the drought, the wildfires that are top of mind for Californians right now and the agencies that you just listed really touch all of these in in some way. And and I guess I'll start with, with heat. We've been understanding more and more the importance of reining in pollution raining in greenhouse gases that are overheating the planet. Can you talk about the focus that the EPA is going to have in this? And you can also, in the context, do it in the context of the new legislation uh, and what that might provide in terms of tools for EPA. Sure. Uh, So as I mentioned, the the Air Resources Board
1: is – the The board with the most direct role, I think, when it comes to, um, in particular, some of what the new climate package entails, uh, most directly, the codification of our carbon neutrality deadline by 2045. The Air Resources Board, as many of you may know, is tasked with developing the scoping plan, which really lays out our pathway to achieving car- this carbon neutrality um, deadline um, throughout the entire economy across the state and through our natural and working lands. This document is well underway, and uh, there's there's a draft that has already been released. Uh, the Air Resources Board is reviewing comments. And so this is probably the most direct way in which we'll see our agency really take on some of the new uh, climate package itself. The fifty The $54 billion in investment will also be seen across many, many levels of government and, and many agencies aside from our own, but will also be seen through many of our programs. And I think one of the ways that CaliPA will certainly be of, of service to the administration and intends to Implement uh, these new aggressive targets and this, and this influx of investment and resources is really by centering equity and environmental justice in in our work and our focus. We, through the Office of Environmental Health Hazards Assessment, administer, for example, a tool called um, CalEnviroScreen, which is used to identify the most pollution burdened communities across our state. And this is key not only to targeting our investments of financial resources, but really also to thinking about how we focus our enforcement work, this driving down of air pollution, as you mentioned, Mina, um, not only greenhouse gas emissions, but also um toxic air contaminants and other air pollutants that that we call co-pollutants but but really are pollutants that are of immediate concern from a health standpoint and a tool like CalEnviroScreen really embodies the ability to focus on the most vulnerable communities across our state. And this mm. is something that we embrace at CalEPA and that many of our sister agencies across the administration also embrace um, and something that that we will continue to do as we implement the, the entire package that is before us, as well as the investments um, that are associated with, with this.
3: So this is a An analytical tool to try to determine what regions face the biggest pollution burden, basically, and where to start really targeting your resources?
1: It is. Actually, in even more specific than what regions, it looks at the census tract level, uh, which communities uh, directly within regions are the most pollution burdened and experience socioeconomic stressors that may make them more vulnerable to the impacts of pollution.
3: Mm. Well, after the break, I definitely want to hear what regions and what, <laughs> as granular as that that data will let you get to, what are the ones that you really want to prioritize? Again, let me remind listeners that we're talking with Yana Garcia, California Secretary for Environmental Protection, and you, our listeners, can join the conversation by telling us how Cal EPA could better serve your community. What's one action Cal EPA could take to protect your community? from environmental issues or health hazards. And, of course, if you have questions for Secretary Garcia, you are invited to share those as well. Call 866-733-6786. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Yana Garcia, Secretary for Environmental Protection. And we want to hear from you, our listeners, about how Cali PA can better serve you by calling 866 733 6786. Before we do, let me remind you what we're talking about tomorrow. We're talking about American democracy. How many times have you heard someone say that our politics are so divisive that democracy is broken? Well, Jed Purdy suggests that politics is the key to our democracy working. Purdy is a law professor and cultural critic, and his new book is Two Cheers for Politics Why Democracy is Scary, Flawed, and Our Best Hope. Secretary Yana Garcia, just before the break, you were talking about really trying to understand where the issues, the environmental health issues, are being felt the most uh, through EnviroScreen, for example, as a tool. If there was a region of California that keeps you up at night, what would that region be?
1: Mm, thanks for this question, Mina. Um, you know, what truly keeps me up at night less than a specific region, but there is a, a region that I will get to, um, are the communities across all regions in our state, in nearly every single city in this state, every rural area, are vulnerable residents who are the same residents who are facing the harshest impacts from, for example, the COVID-19 pandemic, the ongoing health pandemic that we are in, that are facing the brunt of socioeconomic impacts and really working day to day to simply just make ends meet and to survive. Those are the communities that also face the heaviest pollution burdens and experience extreme heat, experience lack of access to sanitation and drinking water in the most acute way on a day-to-day basis. And so I think when we are considering our policy priorities and implementing existing policy prerogatives, we have to have these folks in mind no matter what we do and no matter where we are. Um, They are present in every region of our state. If we're thinking of regions that are particularly vulnerable one of them that comes to mind is um, really the the Central Valley and mm-hmm. um, areas like Imperial County and even some of the far reaches of our of the northern part of our state. these are areas that, you know, may not have the largest population concentrations, but have. A vulnerability to wildfires in the northern region and and in many of our of our southern of the southern stretches of our state um, hold so much of our agricultural production um, yet have areas where drinking water infrastructure is absent uh, or there are food deserts, ironically enough, and th- these are areas that we also have to think about prioritizing when we are considering. much of the work that we have to do to build a more resilient future for for all Californians.
3: There was a really scathing assessment of California's water safety that came out earlier this year. And I wonder what lessons Cal EPA is taking from that, because as you mentioned, the Central Valley, that really is a place where access to safe drinking water or the lack of it is particularly acute?
1: Yes. So as I mentioned, the State Water Resources Control Board is deeply seeped in the very challenging work of ensuring that all Californians have access to to safe, clean, and affordable drinking water. And this is something that they have been hard at work at for quite some time and that is changing and is dynamic uh, because of the The conditions that we all that we all are seeing take place. One of the things that I think is a true opportunity in this space is to remedy, particularly in places like the Central Valley, but also even in in unincorporated communities and in places like like Los Angeles County and elsewhere, Mm -hmm. is to remedy some of the underinvestment and disinvestment that we've seen affecting particular communities. And that has led to the lack of access of all types of infrastructure, but namely including sanitation and drinking water infrastructure. The state water board has been hard at work in deploying funds to support new infrastructure investments and has also been requiring, from a regulatory standpoint, the consolidation of water systems that are left outside of the zone of municipal infrastructure. And this we see quite often in rural areas, in areas where decisions were made uh, very similar to uh, decisions around the practice of of redlining, for example, but decisions mm-hmm. were made to leave some communities out of, of drinking water investments and drinking water systems. And we have an opportunity to remedy this uh, through our investment of resources, through our regulatory work. And this is something that the Water Board has prioritized for some time and and will continue to prioritize in in the drinking water space.
3: Yes, one of the areas of concern was the fact that it felt like it was taking too long for the State Water Board to deploy funding and other resources to these areas, that there was too much red tape, documentation, a really... A really difficult application process. So, is there an effort to fast track or or cut some of that?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, on day two in in the job, I I have to say that um, I, in coming back to to Cali, PA, I've I've been away for for some time. Uh, this is one of the things that I certainly intend to connect with our staff about and connect with our board members about. To of course continue to prioritize, but I will say that. I think in many respects, much of this can feel too late. Uh, We have a a crisis on our hands on multiple fronts where we are unfortunately making up for lost time. Mm -hmm. And I think that is felt by many residents throughout our state. And I certainly intend to prioritize these programs, among others, but certainly programs to get infrastructure dollars out to support drinking water investments across our state. This is something that has been a heartfelt priority of mine for many years and will continue to be so.
3: Well, listener, Corey wants to know if shade ball technology will be more widely implemented around the state. Shade balls, is this a way to protect water quality?
1: I have to admit, I don't think I'm actually familiar with what a shade ball, what shade ball technologies are. (laughs) <laughs>
3: me neither but well, let me thank Corey for the question, and Lance writes with hundreds of miles of coastline, why other than continuing burning up so many living things in California, are we not focused on desalination as a solution? San Diego has built a plant and was able to give sell and loan surplus water to upstream towns to help fill their gaps in need versus availability. Does it make water more expensive? Yes, initially, but how much are we spending on fire prevention, crop losses, and trying for an end to our da- our drought? desalination
1: well so the the governor's water supply strategy which was announced about a month ago includes among many other things the development of water recycling resources and and desalination resources so i think We may see, we will likely see more of this uh, as an option that we're exploring. And uh, this is something that is certainly on our radar administration wide and that is part of the governor's water supply strategy.
3: And let me go to caller Greg in Palo Alto next. Hi, Greg.
5: Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, A question for you. I live in Palo Alto, I live on a very heavily trafficked uh, thoroughfare. Where many diesel trucks travel uh, throughout the day from very early in the morning to late at night i 've lived here for over thirty years and have respiratory disabilities. We recently have gotten six years of construction about fifty feet from where I live. My neighbors and myself have been subjected to high levels of diesel exhaust, etc and we 've complained to the city nothing's happened, no mitigation and i 'd like to know whether it 's Cal EPA or which state agency deals with, say, a Prop 65 issue, because diesel exhaust is a Prop 65 uh, 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 chemical. Uh, And uh, uh, there's no notification about this and no attempt to do anything about mitigating this. And it's had a severe impact on my disabilities, and I'm sure on the other seniors who live where I live. And I'm wondering who who we can go to about this, because this is not going to stop soon. I mean, we've already had six years. and We're going to have more.
3: Well, thanks for the call, Greg. Secretary Garcia? Yeah, so
1: many communities, unfortunately, suffer from from the impacts of diesel pollution and diesel exhaust. And this is something that the Air Resources Board does quite a bit of work to address. Uh, first and foremost, the Air Resources Board is engaged in direct enforcement around idling requirements and and emissions from heavy-duty trucks, we have also you know looked at at incentives to really transition our our heavy duty fleets uh, throughout our state. and this is something that is is an active area of work for the Air Resources Board. From the local land use standpoint, it is also something that local governments are involved in with respect to identifying truck routes and restricting, um, trucks from certain neighborhoods. Uh, this is an area of work that um, you know my my immediately former role as as advisor to Attorney General Rob Bonta um, that places like the Attorney General's office are also involved in is is really um, thinking about how we can respect the need and support the need to have local economies thrive and understand that ports and inland ports are a part of what makes California the fifth largest economy in the world. But we need to have protections for the residents that surround uh, hubs of of truck traffic and so I think across state government we are all working closely with with local governments municipal entities as well to think about how our land use practices can better support communities from being protected from uh, diesel diesel truck pollution and uh, pollution from our seaports and our inland ports but this is something that CARB is also uh, very closely involved in.
3: Let me go to caller Toby in Berkeley next. Hi, Toby.
1: Hi. Um, so
2: I just read the most recent Time Magazine uh, article about the Colorado River. And it, in the article, it said that I think that there are five states that um, use the Colorado River <clears throat> water. and And I don't remember what agency it is, but... The, whatever agency it is gave all five states a deadline by which they had to come up with plans for um reducing water use, usage and not one state uh met the deadline and and i think that the at the basically at the end it basically said that you know no states are responding and they just all have to deal with uh this on their own which I find to be pretty ridiculous. So I just was wondering what you have to say.
3: (laughs) Toby, thank you. Um, Secretary Garcia, do you have thoughts for Toby? I guess more broadly, I have been wondering also just your assessment of California's water situation, because I know one of your priorities, as you have mentioned, is resiliency to drought.
1: Yeah, so directly on the question of the Colorado River, which is uh, quite a quite a complex topic. I think we can talk about that for an hour, maybe sometime uh, another time, but. The Colorado River Board um, is a a state entity within the Natural Resources Agency um, and is working very closely with other partner states and the federal government on this very topic. Um, We are already taking, in fact, significant steps to reduce our use of Colorado River water through conservation and efficiency efforts, particularly in urban areas. But, of course, more has to be done. Um, immediately front of mind for me is, um, a particular challenge that we're going to be faced with and that we need to, to be cognizant of is the impact that reduced water from the Colorado river will have on places like the Salton Sea, where we see, uh, um, receding water actually cause other issues like air pollution issues in an area that that struggles with um, air quality and health impacts. So it's, it's a complex uh, onion that we have to peel here and something that is um, actively uh, being pursued in terms of a, a strong basis for us to cut back our use of water as much as we can. And to your question, Mina, or, or your kind of broader point, um, I guess I'll say, I'll say here and reserve, you know, maybe another time to come back and talk about this in, in a little bit more depth and detail. I think we are at a place certainly now where where most of the state understands the direct relationship between climate change and drought. Most of our residents understand this. Californians get this quite clearly. The way that our regulatory systems are set up unfortunately don 't integrate these two things um, all the time, and so one of the challenges that we face in government is is ensuring that we are consistently thinking of drought when we 're thinking of climate change, that water is always front of mind when we are thinking about our changing climate, that it's not just about greenhouse gas emissions, that it's also about thinking through how we are safely managing. Our water supply, particularly in an arid state where uh, land use practices when we first started, um, you know, building cities out here did not keep in mind necessarily the long term impacts that water supply or a a diminishing water supply would have um, on our ability to sustain ourselves. And this is something that I think we've seen a lot of progress in, in terms of building a narrative around climate change and the emission space. And I think we're still... We're still working toward understanding what our narrative is as a state when it comes to um, water supply. You know, we all think about what's our carbon footprint? I think now that's something that that we can commonly understand. Um, how can we reduce our emissions by embodying various uh, changes in our lifestyle. And I think one of the challenges that lies ahead for us as a society is to consider how we can better manage and reduce the use of our water. And that's something that uh, we need to embrace as Californians. And certainly that us as state agencies, uh, for myself at Cali-PA, um, is something that we need to always have front of mind whenever we're thinking about any challenge um, in the climate space or, or otherwise is how the how it will impact
3: our water supply. Yeah. So are the strategies creating storage, recycling and reuse? That uh, There's sort of a shorthand fear that California is going to run out of water and while we may have less of it in the form of snow, how do we capture, you know, the the water that's running, running off the stormwater, the so on? Is yeah. that the priority? Well, I'm sorry. Back we, to, and we have 60 seconds sure, just before I'll, our break. I'll go
1: back to the four initiatives that I think the governor laid out in the water supply strategy briefly here. Um, in addition to... You know, water recycling and, and exploring desalination options, I think we will need to capture and, stave more, and save more stormwater, both above ground and below ground. I think we'll need to reduce the use of our water in cities, but also in agriculture and improve water management actions really through better forecasting, um, improving conveyance and equipping all of us with, with better data
3: around water use. We'll have more with Secretary Yana Garcia, California's new Secretary of the EPA. Stay with us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum
0: comes from San Francisco Opera.
3: You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. California is grappling with record breaking heat, intense drought, and wildfires, and addressing the causes and consequences are central to the role of the state's Environmental Protection Agency. And today we're meeting California's new EPA Secretary, Iana Garcia, who has been an environmental and indigenous activist, a Special Assistant Attorney General focused on environmental issues, and Cal EPA's Deputy Secretary for Environmental Justice, Tribal Affairs, and Border Relations. And Secretary Garcia, I bring that up because I would actually love to talk with you a little bit about your background that led you to the EPA, just for a moment. You grew up in Oakland, also in Oaxaca and Chiapas, Mexico. I- I'm wondering how those experiences informed your priorities when it comes to environmental policy and your focus on environmental justice.
1: Yeah, thank you, Amina. Um <laughs> So I did grow up uh, quite a bit all over the place, never lived in Chiapas, visited. um, (laughs) But uh, it was certainly uh, life changing, actually, I would say, Um, you know, often when people have asked me what led me to become an environmentalist, it's hard for me to pinpoint a, a single thing. But I would say that at a at an early age, you know, I, I lived in, in Mexico for some time at around the age of 10, um, lived there for a couple of years. And during that time, uh, it was quite a time to, to be in, in Mexico. NAFTA had just come into effect. You know, there were uh, indigenous rights mobilizations, uh, including in, in Chiapas, um, a place where where as a family, uh, my family visited uh, when we lived in Oaxaca and I became very aware of the intersection between people and, and communities, particularly indigenous communities, um, lacking access to their own resources and autonomy around what happens to their resources, whether that be food supply around uh, corn, which is something that my family was directly impacted by, um, or, you know, things like hydropower um, or access to their own forests for for biodiversity, um, and just to live a way of life um, in in a manner that was consistent with with uh, their identity. And so, from a very early age, I understood that that many of these issues were, important to people that I cared about and uh, something that n- I, I don't know that I necessarily wanted to be involved with, but that I felt called to be involved with. And I, I was impacted by that um, really for the rest of, of my life and and throughout my career.
3: What made you want to work in state government then? I mean, not all mm-hmm. activists choose that path,
1: right? yeah. Yeah. So I think that if it weren't for the focus and the ability to focus on environmental justice, tribal issues, um, and issues concerning the U.S.-Mexico border, I may not have been drawn to it. And so I think that's really um, a credit to the people of California that elected leaders who wanted to prioritize those issues at Cali PA, The assistant secretary position was created by by statute. And so um, it really is reflective of people who elected representatives that put this front and center that put these issues front and center. And when I was initially approached uh, for the position by by my immediate predecessor in the position, um, you know, I I considered... That it was um, in state government, and at the time, I was actually litigating at at um, Earth Justice, uh, which I think uh, many of your listeners are are probably familiar with. Against it. the state, <laughs> <laughs> uh, perhaps at certain points, but <laughs> I thought, you know, I I don't know if I want to work for state government, but man, this particular position seems cool, um, mm. and so I think that if it weren't for the opportunity uh, to work on those issues, to focus on those issues. I may not have joined state government and I'm very grateful to have had that opportunity because it really opened my eyes to a completely different way of thinking about developing solutions and working across um, entities that I, I would not have thought to work across previously.
3: Well, listener, Christina tweets, Cal EPA agencies like the state and regional water boards, Department of Toxic Substances Control, and California Office of Environmental Health Hazard Assessment are struggling to recruit and retain talented staff due to pay inequities between state scientists and state geologists and engineers. How does Secretary Garcia plan to address this challenge?
1: Mm. Very good question. Um this is a an issue that I've been aware of for some time, and I think it also impacts. You know, in addition to our scientists, it it impacts um, many of our our own kind of not necessarily frontline workers, but workers that are out in the field, um, uh, people who are managing our community engagement and really holding our relationships with stakeholders um, that are critical to our ability to do our work. Uh, I have every intention of working with our partners um, uh, in, in – um, through the budget process um, to ensure that that we can bring parity in in our salaries. Um, so this is something that certainly, from an internal standpoint, administrative standpoint, um, is a priority of mine. And and I know that um, our staff have felt this for for quite some time. And I hear that. Um, I I intend to prioritize it in my role as secretary. Hmm.
3: Here is a fire-related question. Eli writes, we know that low-intensity fire is the best treatment for fuels in our forested lands, a practice borne out by the long history of cultural burning by Indigenous people. It offers protection against mega fires, smoke and increased cost of firefighting by reducing fuel loads, not to mention carbon release. One major obstacle to prescribed burning is air quality concerns. Are there plans to evaluate and or change restrictions on air quality that would ease the planning and execution of prescribed burns? Yes, I don't I don't know that I can speak
1: necessarily to plans uh, specifically to curb um, restrictions um, or protections on air quality. But I will say that this administration um, under Governor Newsom's leadership has really prioritized partnerships with tribes, including those um, around uh, land stewardship. Um, in in all con- all manner of contexts but also around cultural burning um, cultural practices that have been used since time immemorial to manage the fire risk that has always been a part of our ecosystem in the state of California. Um, this is something that the Secretary for Tribal Affairs, Christina Snyder, who has um, advised and, and led Tribal Affairs, not only for Governor Newsom, but but previously under Governor Brown, um, has always had as a centerpiece of her agenda um, and something that I am very excited Excited to continue to support. And I know that my colleagues, um, including Secretary Crowfoot at the Natural Resources Agency, is also um, keen to
3: continue to prioritize. Mm. Just for a moment, we do have that mountain fire, the mill fires burning all the way up in Siskiyou County the Fairview Fire down in Riverside County. You mentioned uh, EPA's role in in cleanup and and dealing with the aftermath of fires earlier in the conversation. How is EPA approaching the active wildfires in the state right now that maybe our listeners wouldn't know?
1: Yeah, so um, one of the ways in which we are involved is through uh, monitoring the impacts of smoke, and this is something that is mm-hmm. um, increasingly an area of work for the Air Resources Board. And this we do both to develop better data around the long-term impacts that wildfires will have on our attainment um, of key Um, air quality goals across the state, but also for the immediate ability to communicate to elders and vulnerable people, including folks who suffer from things like asthma and other respiratory illnesses, um, the level of smoke that may be in their community and the resources that might be available um, or practices that we can implement in our homes to better protect ourselves and our families from the effects of smoke. Um, so that is that is one thing that um, the air resources board is is actively involved with across um, with several other partners across the across state government.
3: Well, let me go to another call, Tamra in Forestville. Hi, Tamra.
1: Hi.
2: Um, I have a question. I've had this question for a while. Um, with building reservoirs or desalination plants taking so much time and political maneuvering, why don't we subsidize water catchment systems for homes it seems like an affordable option that could quickly uh build up our water catchment capabilities especially with how big some of the storms are that come through we got 10 inches of water in one day uh last year here in forestville hmm.
3: subsidizing rainwater catchment secretary yeah. yeah so i that's
1: a a great idea and a great question and i i That is one of the strategies that I think we will see more of. Um, I do think that we are at a place where we are looking at all options, exploring all options. And um, as the governor laid out last month, I think we are exploring ways that we can all be involved in, in stormwater capture and rainwater capture and all of these things. And so this is something that we're actively involved in pursuing through um, incentives and investment and through um, programmatic implementation.
3: We're talking with California Secretary for Environmental Protection, Yana Garcia, who just took over a few days ago, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to some more comments that we're getting. This is Trish who writes, what is the agency doing about the Santa Susana Field Laboratory radioactive contamination in the Simi Valley and Agora Hills area? Some fear that cancers and deaths have happened among children and families in this region as a result of the suppression of information about this contamination. Can you address that, Secretary Garcia?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll just say that this is something that... um, my predecessor worked on quite a bit, and fortunately, um, an agreement was reached uh, just a few weeks ago, in fact, um, and it's, it's been a long, a long history um, that uh, I don't think we have time or ability to get in, too involved in here, but um, a, a successful agreement was reached across um, all the parties involved in the Santa Susana matter um, a couple of weeks ago and so there's there's been a decision point now on that um, and so that uh, matter fortunately is is not presently before me at the moment
3: yeah you mean in terms of a deal and negotiating the cleanup exactly. aspect of it patricia's concerns about cancers and deaths
1: i think are what are what really have led to um the decision on cleanup and the need to to negotiate that
3: We have a couple more questions here about concerns around toxics. Perlita tweets, I have a question in the data that recently came out about toxic plastics in our drinking water, and I had so much faith in our tap water in Santa Clara County. I encouraged others to drink it. What measures can we take to continue drinking our tap water? Are filters enough? No, this is a good question that gets to a couple
1: of different issues. So, um, I think one of the main things that that we are we've been concerned about at at Cal EPA and also um, at the US EPA is around the prevalence of these sort of forever chemicals that that come from. Um, often microplastics or uh, plastic products. And so there is, of course, a, an immediate, you know, drinking water and water quality concern. Um, it also, you know, leads us to understand the urgent need to engage in a more circular economy and an a immediate reduction to um, the ways that we Uh, handle waste and and have waste um, from a from a consumer standpoint and societally I yeah I I think it 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 leads us to um, then really consider the need for um, new ways to manage our waste and and reduce it
3: Well, Allison has a comment here about CalEnviroScreen. Allison writes, our nonprofit environmental organization uses CalEnviroScreen as a tool when working with high school students looking at environmental concerns within their communities. It's a really powerful tool to have them look at something like diesel particulate matter in their community and look at asthma rates and cardiovascular disease that can be directly related to that type of pollution. We found that it's just a really wonderful tool, not only for giving them ways to think about how they could take action, but also, what sort of policies they would want to advocate within their communities. We also have a comment from Steve who writes Given that Cal EPA and Cal Recycle's traditional focus is on regulating industry, what is the Secretary's approach to seeking investment in new green manufacturing infrastructure, all while honoring EnviroScreen 2.0 and environmental justice concerns? Steve also writes Good luck to you in a very difficult and crucial job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, yeah, your thoughts on or your approach to seeking investment in new green manufacturing infrastructure?
1: Yeah, I. So, I have not, you know, again, day two. I've not had an opportunity to work in this area previously, but I, I certainly support um, thinking about this as part of a broader strategy to create better practices that are more sustainable. Um, I am, of course, more familiar immediately with uh, the work that we've done to focus our investments in the communities that need them the most, in resident communities that need our investments the most, but all of our stakeholders are key to achieving the future that we need to see, the resiliency and sustainability that we need to see. And that includes, in particular, our businesses. So um, I I look forward to working more in this space um, as, as I progress in
3: this role. I mentioned that uh, Jared Blumenfeld was your predecessor. And I wonder, as we just have a little bit of time left, if you... If you could pinpoint what would be the biggest difference that we would see in your approach to running Cal EPA? Hmm. You know,
1: in in many ways, um most ways, Jared and I see eye to eye, and I, I had the opportunity to work very closely with Jared for some years. I'd say that the biggest difference really just comes from a a difference in who we are as people. You know, I uh, spoke a little bit about my own upbringing. Jared has a distinct upbringing and uh, perspective on on issues. So um, we share many of the same values. And, um, you know, I, I worked very closely with him in embedding equity into many of the programs that we already Administered through, of course, through through Cal EPA, um and across our our state staff, and so I think that will certainly continue. But to the extent I am able to put my own imprint on. Uh, on things, I think that will really just come from being inherently a very different person than than Jared and having a different life experience, different perspective on on certain things. And um, I look forward to developing new priorities on, say, pesticides, for example, and getting to some of the work that we have not been able to achieve yet.
3: Mm. Well, we thank you so much for coming and letting our listeners meet you and share their concerns. And as you said, there was, is so much more to talk about, so we hope we have you back. Secretary Garcia, thank you. Thanks very much. This is Forum.
0: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts.